here goes out to all the babies, mamas, 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 <laughs> baby mamas, mamas. Yeah, go like this. This one goes out to all the rental rental owners and the owners of the rentals who rent the owners' rentals and anybody who wants to learn a little bit more about how taxes work. Now, don't switch it off yet and go to your next true crime, anti-fiction, bullshit podcast that you like listening to. I see you. I know it's getting popular. Yuck. You make me sick. What the fuck? Fiction podcast. Someone made up a story. And you get engrossed in it. Seriously. What are you thinking? It's not even real. It's someone else's imagination. And you think that the story is interesting. Anyway, tax is interesting. Shit, it is interesting. And it is something that you don't know a lot about. And that is critical that you start to understand some of these things. Because you don't know when you will be in a position to have to play by the rules. And the rules change all the time. And the rules have been changing. And that's what we're going to be talking about in today's Money Mail from keepthechange.co.nz. Now, these changes have been happening over time, but recently I've been getting the odd message and I've been seeing more chat about people getting confused about what's happened in the rental space with interest deductibility. So I thought we'd go back to basics and help everybody and anybody, whether you have a rental, you plan to one day have one, or you just want to understand more about taxes you can learn what's going on. So from the 1st of April 2023, which we're already here, interest incurred on rental properties will now only be 50% tax deductible. Now I take things for granted when I say tax deductible, but I've been in the accounting space for 15 or something years now. So I know exactly what that means. But for most of you, I know you're probably thinking, well, what does tax deductible actually mean? So today we're going to learn about this because it's actually quite a big deal and something you will have to be hearing about going forward this year because it is making up some of the changes or proposed changes to the rules that different groups are going to be campaigning on. So before we do, let's go back to basics. New Zealanders have long had an obsession with rental property investment. Our obsession comes from a combination of favourable market conditions, passive income. Is anything ever really truly passive? I don't know, I feel like you've had to have done some work at some stage to get passive income and dealing with tenants, I'd imagine if you have multiple rental properties, wouldn't be seen as passive. But anyway, passive income, generation, untaxed capital gains, being able to touch our investment, Kiwis love that, passed down education, i.e. someone teaching you from a generation before you because it's worked for them or even just a friend or family friend that has done this, and so they pass that education along. Tax advantages, being very, very glorious, the property investment space in terms of tax advantages in the past. Portfolio diversification, so some people might want some property, they might want some commercial property via stocks, or even just a share in one, they might want uh, shares in the share market, businesses, and they're trying to diversify so they don't have all of their eggs in one basket. And of course, long-term wealth creation, which is of course what a lot of people are chasing. Now, as house prices have increased over the last 40 years, inflated by debt, of course, that's why house prices have gone up, because we've had more debt, so it's pushed up the price of houses, but it's often ignored. We just think, oh, house prices have just gone up, yeah, but if you map household debt and debt and mortgage levels to 
the value of houses, you'll see the graphs look very, very similar. Interest rates, of course, were coming down. We'll hear the older people saying, oh, but I remember when mine were 18%. Yeah, but how long did they stay there for? Go and have a look at interest rates over time and see. They've been trending down for about 40 years, down to the right, sloping down to about zero. Now they're heading all the way back up to about 5.5%, the official cash rate at the moment, and therefore uh, overdraft, sorry, floating rates around 8 point something percent. So things are changing, but... If you have a look at the graphs, you'll find that interest rates have been slowly sloping down. So this has created an environment where it's been a a no-brainer bet for a lot of people to make. It's been simple to understand as well and relatively risk-free in the eyes of many. Many people would borrow against equity in one property to buy another one and rinse and repeat. Again, Luke, what is equity? Okay, well, equity is the value of your home in the current market and probably what you could sell it for minus the debt. So say it's worth, just going to use round figures here, $500,000 and your debt is $200,000, you've got equity of $300,000. You truly own that piece. That's the bit that you would walk away with. So people would leverage off of their equity, so that's where leverage and equity come from and tie together in one property to buy another one and then they would rinse and repeat as they go. Uh, This works well when you can afford to pay the mortgage and tenants help with that too obviously and house prices are increasingly. Are increasing. Now, I've recently done podcasts with two absolute weapons who own multiple properties and asked them all about their journey. So, check those out if you want to learn more about the process. A shout out to Scotty Mewson. He's in the top 15 all time KTC podcasts. And I'll tell you what, he's very happy about that, but he's a little bit dark. He wants to be in that top 10. He's like, what's number one? What's number one? Why am I not number one? So, he's been punching it out to his list and sending it around, handing out flyers to read the podcast, all sorts. And then Angela Strang from the other end of the country down there in the beautiful south. She has a number of properties as well and been able to retire very early and shares her story. So if you want to go and check those out to learn more about this, then that's cool. I also want to acknowledge here that we do have a portion of people probably, I don't know, maybe probably not listening to this, but that don't like that as a model. They think, well, why do you need that many houses? And that's why other people can't afford houses and stuff like that. So that's an argument that goes on off to the side as well. Uh, But we're not going to focus on that. This is just what people have chosen to try and extend their wealth in. And they're not doing anything illegal. This is the world that they live in. The market is the market is the market. The rules are the rules and they're playing to them. So historically, and I'll actually just show you a stat later on too about how many people have more than one rental property. You might be surprised. So historically, if you have had a rental property, you've been able to claim 100% of your interest cost as a tax-deductible expense. You're thinking, well, what the hell does that mean again? Well, from above tax-deductible expense, it means that it's an expense that we can net off of our income that we make and therefore have a lower profit to then pay less tax. So much like in business for me, say I go and borrow uh, some money to run my accounting practice better, the interest cost of that debt would be tax-deductible. So say I then made $100,000 of income in my business and I'd spent $2,000 on interest and I had some other expenses, I would be taking that $100,000 minus the $2,000 of interest and minus the other expenses, that would give me my profit and I would pay tax on that. So just like that for a rental, they have been 100% tax deductible expenses interest have in the past too. Now a tax deductible expense reduces taxable profits and therefore the amount of income taxes owed. Now, a rental property owner has income in the form of rent. So it looks a little bit like this. They have their rental income, which is obviously total rent received throughout the year from tenants. Key thing here, not the bond. The bond is not a form of income. Now, less the expenses. So things like accounting fees. Nice, us guys. Bank fees, depreciation on the chattels, but not the building, on the chattels. So you might have installed a heat pump. 
and that might depreciate. Now, what's depreciation, Luke? Good question. Gee, I've noticed I've spelt that wrong here too. So depreciation is a acknowledgement that the value of that asset, i.e. the heat pump, is actually decreasing. So you can claim that decrease in value as an expense, and that's going to bring your profit down, and therefore the tax you have to pay. Now, also insurance. Uh, interest expenses, which we'll get to, property management fees, if you get your rental property managed, repairs, rates, travel for inspections, of course, uh, amongst other expenses. So there may be some other things that you need to claim as part of that. And just for a side tangent, and we've done a uh, money mail about this previously, but back in the old days, people would, I'm sure this doesn't happen anymore, they would uh, do repairs to their property that didn't drastically improve their property, it just literally repaired what was broken, and that may increase the value of that property, and they would claim that repair as a tax-deductible expense because it was allowed under the rules, but it wasn't of any capital nature, it wasn't improving the rental property, if you know what I'm saying. So it wouldn't have actually been increasing the value, would it? No, when you go to sell it. But anyway, those repairs may be tax deductible, but you have to be careful to the extent of those repairs. But you're going to have your rental income, less all of those expenses, it gives you your profit, and you're going to pay tax on that profit. Or if you've got a loss, recently I saw a rental statement, and the repairs were actually bigger than the rental income. So by the time they added on all their other expenses, they had a loss. Now what happens with that loss? Well, back in the day used to be able to put that loss and offset your personal PAYE income. If you were, say, working in an accounting job and you had an $80,000 salary, but then your rental property lost $10,000, you would take the $10,000 loss and you would say, well, I should only be paying tax on $70,000, not $80,000, because I lost $10,000 in my rental. And you would get a tax refund of the income tax that you've paid on the $10,000 of salary that you shouldn't have and you usually use that refund to then do some further repairs to the property, and hopefully that would continue to go up in value because that's beautiful how it works in New Zealand, and that would improve the value of the property as well, but shh, don't tell anyone. Then eventually you would sell it, and you would have even bigger tax-free gains. So that's what we say further up when we're talking about where this obsession comes from. Well, it comes from favourable tax advantages, and those are some of them that I'm outlying to you. And I'm not saying that that's what everyone does, but that's just perhaps how people have taken the system and used it to their advantage or pushed it to its limits. But at the moment, losses can't be claimed against your personal income. So your losses actually just get carried forward. So your $10,000 loss on your rental just moves forward to the next year or the next year or the next year. So it just depends. You know, you might have a profit in the next year and then the profit will offset some of that loss. So tax is then, if you've got a profit, tax is then paid on the profit based on the tax rate of the owner of the property. There's a number of different ways to own a property, of course. So you might own it individually. Luke might own a rental property and then I've got a profit on my rental and that's going to have to go into my personal tax return because I own it personally and I'm going to have to pay tax on it at my marginal tax rate. So for me, 39%. So I'm going to be smashed with 39% of that rental profit uh, at 39%. Maybe a trust owns it at the moment, that would be at 33%, but it's going to move to 39% from the 1st of April next year if that trust tax rate changes. Uh, And then there's also different ways around companies and look-through companies, limited partnerships, all sorts of different things, but I won't bore you with all of that geeky stuff. If you do want to know more about that, then I can point you in the right direction, or I I don't do a lot of property accounting because I yeah, I was just going to say I don't like it, but it bores the shit out of me, okay? I'm always honest with you guys. It's not my jam. So I can show you exactly who is the best in the business at it. So if that is something you need to hand with, then get in touch. I can point you in the right direction and uh, you can get looked after, but I'm not your guy. Anyway, as you have probably already worked out, one of the largest expenses for a renter would therefore be the interest, wouldn't it? Because this is being 
Because this is being phased out over time to be non-deductible, landlords will have higher profits and therefore higher taxes on those profits. Now this is already surprising some landlords who haven't understood this change very well or are new to the rental game. Now if an accountant hasn't explained this too well to someone who has a rental and the landlord, it's very unlikely that a landlord didn't know about this, but if they didn't understand it, all of a sudden they may start to get tax bills because interest rates have been very low and rents have been going up slightly as well. And now that the interest is becoming non-deductible, some people are getting a bit of a surprise of, oh, your rental is now making a profit. Historically, for a number of years, that hasn't happened. Now, even if someone was renting a place out and it had a very minimal mortgage, therefore they can claim minimal interest on that mortgage and then by the time you take off the non-deductible piece, they may have a profit and their accountant is doing the accounts at the end of the year and they say, oh, you've got a couple of grand tax to pay. And people are like, holy shit, what? And that's literally happening. So that's only going to get worse and I'll explain why in a second. But it will be a little bit countered by the fact that interest rates are going up. So we'll get into that. So further to this as well, just before we do, rental property owners would often structure their debt so that the maximum possible debt which incurs an interest expense, is held under the rental property and less is held under their personal property property because this isn't tax deductible. So let me explain that bit. So basically, say you've got your home, you've got your equity in there, you go to the bank, you leverage it and you say, well, can I use the equity in that property, in property A, my home, and can I buy a rental property? And they say, cool, we can do that. And you'll try and structure that deal in a way that the maximum amount of debt is sitting against the rental property and you're going to be incentivized to continue to pay down the debt on your property, your home, because that interest on that is not tax deductible, but on the rental it is. So that's when people start playing that game of what's the point paying down my rental debt when I could pay down the debt on my personal property because that isn't tax deductible and the interest incurred on my rental property is tax deductible. So now that these rules have changed a little bit, all of this stuff's up in the air a little bit and people are thinking a little bit different about some of the stuff. And this is where it's been very easy in this space to understand. Now it's changing. So you do need solid advice. You need good mortgage advisor advice, but you need good property accountant advice, especially if you go past one or two rental properties and you want to do the game of property longer term. Now prior to the 1st of October 2021, interest was 100% tax deductible and that then decreased to 75% from the 1st of October 2021. So midway through the 2022 financial year, obviously. So that we had half of a year, financial year, where it was 100% tax deductible, then a half where it was 75. But in the 2023 financial year, which just ended the 31st of March 2023, so that's finished, interest was only 75% tax deductible. What that means is that we had a full financial year where the interest, say it was uh, $20,000, it was only 75% tax deductible. So you could only claim $15,000 of that is a tax deductible expense, not the $20,000. So from the 1st of April 2023, it's going to move to being 50% deductible. And this is where it's starting to get quite gnarly. So to keep it simple for you, in the 2021 financial year, a rental with a mortgage of $500,000 at 5% would obviously have 5525, good math Luke, $25,000 of interest and claim $25,000 as a tax deductible expense. Because in the 2021 financial year, interest was 100% tax deductible. Now in the 2024 financial year, which is what we're currently in, so from the 1st of April 2023 to the 31st of March 2024, that's the 2024 financial year, a rental with a mortgage of $500,000 at 5% would have $25,000 of interest still, but they can only claim $12,500 as a tax deductible expense. Now let's just think about this and say, well, 
let's say that that rental property doesn't make a profit after paying for all the expenses, including the interest. Now, in 2021, they have, say, 30 grand of income, five grand of different expenses, 25 grand of interest, bang, $0 profit, they pay no tax. Now, in 2024, the exact same thing, still got the same amount of interest, still got the same amount of expenses, they've gone up slightly, but so is rent, it nets off to zero, no profit, all, but now we can only claim a half of that interest. So we're actually going to have a $12,500 profit, and that's then going to be taxable. So for most people that own a rental, they'll have income above $48,000, you would assume, right? So they're then going to be taxed at at least 30%. So on 12 and a half grand, easily going to have four grand of tax to pay. So from the 1st of April 2025 as well, interest on rental properties will become 0% tax deductible. This is, of course, if politicians don't change it again. So back to our example of our property where we have a rental, we've got $500,000 mortgage, we don't make a profit on it after paying for the interest. Well, in the 2025, from the 1st of April 2025, so in the 2026 financial year, we would actually have a profit of $25,000 because none of that interest would be tax deductible and we'd be having to pay tax on that. Now that is a pretty gnarly amount of coin for a lot of people because a lot of people are using anything left over to try and pay down the mortgage. So as interest rates stay higher, it makes it harder. And that is why so many people will be voting that are landlords that they don't want to keep these rules in place because it is mucking up plans that they had set for a number of years and really uh, getting them muddled up with where they want to be going. So it's going to be a, a watch this space for the 2023 election. Now, higher profits mean higher taxes, and landlords will need to budget for this. So I took you through the example about the uh, the $48,000, and that's that's likely going to be the tax, that the, the, the income that they'd have would be no doubt higher than $48,000 for most of them. So they'd have to be paying at least 30%. If they earn over $70,000, probably 33% if they're owning it in their own name. So you can see how this tax is going to add up quickly for a mum and dad investor with even just one rental property. Imagine if they've got multiple. So unfortunately for renters, like myself, probably a number of you, some of this will no doubt be covered by an increase in rents implemented by landlords who will then tuck the increase aside for eventual taxes. So that's probably going to be what we see as people that haven't been as close to these rules, start to get tax surprises when they do their 2023 rental returns and especially I start to ask, well, how's this happened? And then they came, the accountant will say, well, you actually need to prepare for a bigger one coming forward because interest is going to become less tax deductible. Now they will say, okay, well, shit, how can I make some extra cash? Well, maybe I'll put my rent up and I'll put that difference aside. Problem is that the rent is an in- income, isn't it? And they've still got to pay tax on that increase too, so they may not actually put enough aside to be able to cover that tax, but the tenant may cop a bit of a hiding from those landlords who decide to put rents up to try and cover the eventual taxes that they have to pay. So there are also uh, exceptions to this rule where new builds are often exempt from interest deductibility changes. Now you need to go and research this further if this is the stuff that you want to learn. I'm just covering this at a very high level. But because we want to build more new houses in New Zealand, some of these rules don't apply. They don't apply to new builds and different things like that. So you want to go and explore that. So these rules and the things we've been talking about above are mostly 
for a standalone home that's been built for ages that you go and buy and you're renting out or you know you move out of your family home and it's as old as the hills and you decide to start renting it out because you've got a new place now so you if you were in the new build space, and this is why Scotty on the podcast was explaining this as well, so go and listen to that podcast with Scotty M. He wants to get to the top spot. Um, you know, you'll learn more about that, and there's heaps on the internet that you can read about it as well, and different resources. So if you really do need those and you can't find them, sing out, I'll point you in the right direction. But there you have it. Uh, that's your tax lesson for your Friday. That will help you understand why politicians are talking about what's called rolling back interest deductibility changes as we head towards the election and you never know they might even say look we're going to roll them back retrospectively for the last couple of years they can actually do that too so it's gonna be very interesting to see and I'd imagine that a number of landlords will be hoping that they do but reminder also this is a little bit tangent but please if you contribute to KiwiSaver and you want a guaranteed 50% return you need to ensure you've contributed $1,042 and 68 86 cents to KiwiSaver by the 30th of June to ensure you receive the maximum member tax credit of $521.43. You can check this contribution. I went and did this to test it uh, for, your, for your period 1 July 2022 to 30 June 2023 via MyIR. I went to kiwisaver.gov.nz, logged into my MyIR, and it pulled up exactly how much I'd contributed throughout the year, how much my employer had, and I know that mine is above $1,042.86, so I will definitely get the $521.43 back. That's me getting a little bit of my tax back. That is exciting, but there is not many places, especially at the moment, that you can go where you can guarantee yourself a 50% return. Now, that is pretty good. I know a lot of people don't like KiwiSaver. It's not their thing. They don't want to rely on it. That's completely cool, but you're almost missing out if you're not going to try and get some of your tax back by saving for the future. Now, I saw a pretty scathing article of KiwiSaver this week, and it basically said it's very uh, rigid, and it's going to be hard to get the money out. You've got to wait for so long. There's no flexibility. Uh, you couldn't sell a product like that if, if you're in the private space. It is a very, very good and interesting article. The thing that I think is that we live in a country of people taking opportunity, people making money, and as Mikey often says, greed. Do you think that greed won't continue to exist? And my answer to him is always no. So do you not think that in the next 30 years, might even only take 10, someone's going to come up with a product and be like, hey, what we'll do is, given that we know you're going to get your KiwiSaver at 65, we'll give you what's called the KiwiSave loan, and you can borrow from us. And as soon as you turn 65, we get first right to use some or take back some of your KiwiSaver to repay your loan. This is a brilliant product for people who want to have an early retirement but can't access their KiwiSaver until 65. The perfect product to help you enjoy your life. Do you really think that that isn't going to happen? Surely, unless there's some regulation that says that that can't happen, someone is going to as the pot gets bigger, come up with a way to make money out of KiwiSaver and go, fuck, this sucks, you've got to wait to 65, I'll solve it for you. Because what is making money? Making money is identifying a problem, adding more value and solving it. So there's going to be a whole heap of people that are getting closer to 65, that are itchy as to touch it, and someone's going to take advantage of that and say, well, here you go, we'll lend you a bit of money, but we've got first right to this as soon as you turn 65. That is my prediction, probably going to take a number of years to see that, but hey, maybe I'll build it, <laughs> don't know if I have enough coin because I'd say a few people will want to use it, but 
that's where I don't, you know, freak out about KiwiSaver like other people do. Maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm wrong. Fuck, I'll have to suck that up. I am always willing to accept responsibility for the decisions that I make. And I'm uh, over... Yeah, over-contributing to KiwiSaver uh, at the moment compared to, to most people. But if I compare myself to Australia, I'm not even close. So I'm taking the chance that I think that space is going to evolve in time and that's going to give me options should I need them. So hopefully that gives you something to think about as well. I want you to have a brilliant weekend. Look after yourself. As we said in the last podcast, keep looking at yourself as a champion, as a leader, as someone who can navigate these tough financial times, as someone that's going to own their own education, keep learning. And know that you are one of over 7,600 people listening to this, or sorry, reading this, but over 30,000 people listening to this each month as well. So thank you for being here. Thank you for learning. Well done for taking some time to learn and increase your value through your education as well. Did you know the total number of rental properties in New Zealand is around 527,000, according to Statistics New Zealand data from 2021. Now, How many of these bloody scoundrels have heaps of properties? Well, it's estimated that around 80% of landlords own one rental property. So the old Pareto principle in play again. 80% of landlords have one rental property. What they did to try and work this out was go off how many bonds were lodged for individual properties. And most 80% of people only had one lodged, which would then represent that they have one rental property. That's... That's how they tried to work it out. But I don't have the data of what uh, what what makes up the 20%. Probably can find it if you need, and it's probably always changing year to year as well. But I'd say these rules will be having an impact too, and some people won't be wanting to get a rental property or perhaps would have sold one of their rental properties to uh, cover some of the higher interest costs that are going up as well for them and their loan repayments and also to put some money aside for their eventual taxes because it's very easy to map some of those out uh, when you have multiple properties and you can see what rent is coming in and then what expenses you're going to have and then start to predict what your tax will be. So no doubt that is what people will be doing as well. I hope that you have enjoyed that and you've learned something there there's always something to learn when it comes to the world of tax and that is a hopefully simple-ish lesson and hope that I've broken it down for you well Uh, remember that taxes are usually set up in a way to encourage movement of money into that area we've talked about this previously but basically the reason that interest is tax deductible in a business say is because they know that people are going to have to borrow money to try and chase their dreams. So they're saying, well, the tax rules will allow you to claim a deduction to do that. So we're trying to move resources into different spaces. Now, as we try and move resources away from, i.e. away from rental properties and encouraging so many people to be doing that, we're trying to disincentivize it. So that's why they're taking some of these deductions away to try and slow down the momentum of investing into property. Will they succeed? I'm not entirely sure. But hey, to their credit, Labor, at least they've done something about it. Not all landlords would be happy about it. Not all of them would say that it is working or that it was a good idea to start with. But at least you now understand exactly why it happens. Please leave a five-star review. Put something on your social media if you could. See you in the next Money Mail. Yeah, this one right here goes out to all the babies, mamas, mamas. Mamas, mamas. <laughs> Baby mamas, mamas. Yeah, go like this. I'm sorry, Mr.
Jackson. 